All right, school is in session. So take your seats and turn up the volume. volume. It's time for the smartest fishing show on the internet. This is the show that dives into everything fishing from tactics and gear to policy and product. Here he is, the fishing professor, Professor Sid Dobrin. So stick around, you might learn something. You're a ship without a storm, the cold without the warm, light inside the darkness that it needs, yeah. We're a laugh without a tear, the hope without the fear. We are coming home to the Inventive Fishing Fishing Professor Rodcast, where we'll know for the first time if we're evil or divine with the fishing line. Yeah, with the fishing line. Hey, welcome to the Fishing Professor Rodcast. I am Sid Dobrin, the Fishing Professor, and yes, I am rocking to the witch today because we have got another great episode this week, and we have got Thomas Frame, the Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Psionics, and Gio Lepore, Psionics' Global Product Line Manager, and we're going to talk about Psionics's new Nightwave, an ultra-low-light marine camera, or what you might better understand as night vision for your boat. And if that's not enough, once we get a better sense of seeing in the dark, I'm going to sing my praises for Booker's Small Batch Bourbon, and then I'm going to count down my top 10 striper lures. And just to make a quick three degrees of separation connection, I just opened this episode with the lyrics by Ronnie James Dio, who was at one time lead singer for Black Sabbath after Ozzy left the band. Now, Dio passed away in 2010, and in 2011, that great hair metal band Striper, that's S-T-R-Y-P-E-R, well, they released an album called The Covering that featured a cover of Sabbath's 1980 song Heaven and Hell that Dio co-wrote with Tony Iommi, Bill Ward, and Geezer Butler of Sabbath. So there you have it, a quick connection between my opening tribute to Ronnie James Dio and this week's top 10 countdown of Striper Lures. Stop looking at me like that. My genius is lost on you. Fine, I'll put aside the music for a bit, and I'll offer this bit of fishing information because I am a wealth of fishing information. In fact, let's hit a topic of wealth real quick. Did you know that back in aught six, Mac Daddy Lures introduced the million-dollar lure? This is a lure that actually lists for a million dollars. It's a foot-long trolling lure made from three pounds of platinum and gold that is then encrusted with 4,753 diamonds and rubies. That's about 100 carats of precious stones. The lure was designed by Mac McBurney of Mac Daddy's Lures, and he's designed a bunch of other jewel-covered lures like the Mini-Me, which is a $2,500 smaller trolling lure that looks to be like a squid imitator. They also make real gold spoons with precious stones embedded into the spoons. And yes, they have fished the million-dollar lure down in Cabo. There's a video of it on YouTube. And you should know that their motto is, we put the bling in your string. So yes, a million-dollar trolling lure. If you've got the means, I suppose it's a thing to have. Kind of reminds me of my buddy Aaron over in Tampa. Quit bedazzling your jeans, buddy. Nobody wants to fish with a guy in bedazzled jeans and a sequence halter top. Good God, man. Come on. And with that important news now in your hands, let's get to casting. 
Okay, my listening crew, we have got another great conversation headed your way this week. But this week, we're going to do things just a bit differently than usual because I haven't yet had an interview that focused on a specific product rather than on larger matters of fishing. But when I was introduced to this product, I realized that it's something I want to talk about and I want to share with you. So in this week's conversation, we're going to talk with Gio Lapore and Thomas Frain of Psionics. And we're going to talk about a new product that Psionics puts out for smaller boats like inshore center consoles. And that's the Psionics Nightwave, an ultra low light marine camera or what we novices might best understand as night vision for your boat. And with me today, as I said, are Thomas Frain, the Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Psionics, and Gio Lapore, Psionics Global Product Line Manager. Now, reductively, really oversimplified, Psionics is a silicone-based photonics company that develops and manufactures proprietary ultra-low-light CMOS image sensors and high-performance night vision camera system. And their mission is to provide the most accessible digital night vision technology in the world. Now, the reason I wanted to have these representatives from Psionics on the Rodcast is that last month I was fishing out in California with my buddy Jim Hendricks of Saltwater Sportsman Magazine, and Jim had the night wave mounted on the rail of his center console's T-top, and he gave me a quick demonstration. And I was amazed by the stability of the image from this night wave and the clarity of the image. So I decided I need one of these on my boat. You know, your buddy gets a night vision for your boat. You got to get night vision for your boat too. And so with no exaggeration, I literally just this morning dropped my boat off with my boat guy to have my new night wave installed. Now, I have the urge to tell you all why I'm putting the night wave on my boat. But rather than dominate the conversation... I figure I'll weave my thoughts into our conversation today, and I want to thank Mr. Frayne and Mr. Lapore for joining me on the Rodcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Sid, thank you. Uh, um, what what a great lead-in. <clears throat> you know, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it was a great setup, and and yeah, we're, we're excited to be here. It is a new product. Um you know, we launched it. We first announced this back at at, at MIBS, uh, Miami International Boat Show, back in February. But like a lot of manufacturers and and product uh, vendors, you know, we had a lot of supply chain issues, little road bumps here and there, and we started shipping the product. You know, end of July. But um, yeah, it's it's great to see the the short term acceptance of the product, and I, I love the story that you know. Typical, right? Your friend has it. Someone that you know has it. You got to keep up with them. You can't let someone have outdo you on what the new cool tech or, or gadgets are out there. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll let Gio introduce himself too. He said uh, again, thank you very much for having us uh, on the show. This is great. Yep, I actually spent a lot of time on the phone with Jim while he was setting up his camera, so I'm <laughs> intimately aware of his setup and uh, his good praises. So. And it's great that uh, you got to see it firsthand. And uh, let us know when you get it up uh, out on the water. I'd like to see what your experience is. Absolutely. So let's let's get this rolling, though, by getting a little bit of background information. And I usually start this with background information with all of our guests. Tell us a little bit about Psionics and the kind of night vision technologies you are already making. Sure. Gio, you want me to jump on this one? Yeah, take this one. Okay. So... Um... Yeah, so Psionics, 
you know, the, the, the technology, so really Sionix was a technology-based company for a long time, you know, so it's a 15-year-old company that, that we're pretty sure no one knew about until recently. It started in, in the uh, labs at Harvard when the founder of the company was working on, you know, the evolution and, and capabilities, the low-light capabilities of, of photonics. And so he, he was able to come across this technology, you know, we won't say how he did it, but, um, you know, he, he did a process to a silicon wafer by, by coloring it, right, by actually burning it with a laser, which turned it black. So that's why we you've seen in our in our literature, you know, the black silicone, right? So that's really our magic, the magic sauce that makes the technology work. And so they're having success, you know, selling the the technology to other people, right? To put it into their embedded systems, um, you know. So our sensor technology is going to a larger system. So, well, back in 2018, you know, the the founders of the company said, "Well, heck, you know, people like it, they want it. Why don't we try?" our own products, you know, why don't we design, develop and, and sell and market our own products? Okay, let's try it. So they came up with a product called Aurora. So it was a family of handheld uh, night vision products, all digital night vision uh, versus a legacy, what people think of night vision is, which is an analog based technology. So digital night vision is what we do. That's, that is our expertise. And we took this and with the success of Aurora, decided, okay, let's take this further. How are people using Aurora? Let's do some surveys. And a lot of people were using it on water. And, and so we're like, okay, that should be a product we should probably come out with. So let's go do some research and figure out where, how we should develop the next product. And so that was the genesis of Nightwave. And, and so we have this product that's positioned in a market that has nothing else really like it. Um, you know, the technologies that people are familiar with on water for navigation would be, you know, radar and thermal technology, you know, to use with your chart plotters. Well, those are all great, but they don't give you a visual sense, right? The, the comfort that people want or need is, is I want to see how my eyes see. I don't want to look at a, an animated screen. So that's where we, we decided to go. And, and we took Nightwave. Um, and, and put it into the market at a very great price point that gives the end user the ability to see at night, not just rely on a thermal, not just to rely on radar, not just to rely on GPS, but I actually want to see um, where the heck I'm going. Yeah, and you know, I'm glad you brought up the Aurora because, of course, once uh, you know, I started looking into the Nightwave, you know, I was looking at your other products too. And I know that the Aurora is being deployed a lot by law enforcement agencies and, you know, military kinds of focus. And I'm kind of curious as how psionics and you, you, I mean, the Aurora is one of those things to me that I just kind of drool over because it's night vision that is economically available to regular guys like me. And, you know, how did you start thinking about night vision for us average folks who can use this? I mean, the, the Aurora is basically, as is the Nightwave, the prices of a top-end rod and reel setup. Yeah, well, I'll take this one, Tom. Um, well, the Aurora was a um, actually kicked off as a Kickstarter for Psyonix. As Tom mentioned, Psyonix is a technology company, a sensor company. Um, and when we were looking at how to do, uh, how do we introduce this to the masses, a, a small sports camera handheld um, sort of made sense. Um, it has evolved 
in the years that Aurora has actually been on the market, there's been multiple versions of it. You now have a the Aurora standard. You have a pro. You have a black. There was a sport a while back. Um, you know, we introduced it to different sections of the market. And while we did that, we also used it as a platform to continuously develop the the sensor technology. But it's the the Aurora platform is great because we were able to maintain full control from front to back. Right, we have the detector in the front and we have display in the back. So Psionics was able to provide the full solution without having to um, worry about interfacing with third parties like a display or something else. And that allows to really show off the, the technology. Um, it was originally developed the, to be deployed in a consumer um, DIYer kind of space. Uh, but um, as you probably have seen, it performed so well that we started seeing some interest from law enforcement and professional market. And then we started tailoring some of the features and capabilities and um, packages to that market specifically. And as Tom mentioned before, uh, it was a fantastic platform for our uh, customer base to tell us what their applications are. And Maritime was one of the top three um, of, of the camera. So, it gave us a immediate market feedback to where we should do our next development. That's really interesting to me because for a long time, the only night vision that was available in the maritime industry was really geared toward large yachts or bigger ships. And that what you guys are doing is actually making it available to recreational boaters and being able to take that technology and transfer it from that high-level, large boating shipping industry into the recreational market. And that, to me, is just kind of intriguing that you know now we can have this high-quality image night vision approach that we've only seen before on, on yachts. Yeah, the night vision is an expensive technology. When you look at either the, the thermal side of things or the image intensification side of things. Um, at the end of the day, the, the technology itself, it's extremely expensive to make. Therefore, when it gets integrated into a system, the system itself becomes extremely expensive. Um, all Both companies, most companies out there that have traditional night vision or, or thermal evolving driving the technology to a lower, lower cost to try to introduce it to um, your regular uh, consumer. Uh, but there's still a bit of work to be done there. Um, because of our base technology being a CMOS detector, right? The same type of detector that you would see in your iPhone camera or your security camera. Um, and uh, with our proprietary um, manipulation of that detector and improvement on that detector, giving us the capability of seeing um, in much lower uh, light levels, it gives us the opportunity to bring that technology and that capability to a, a lower, uh, more accessible price level. Yeah, and the fact, yeah. oh, go ahead, Tom. Sorry. So, yeah, so Sid, just to kind of expand on what Gio said, um, you know, you'd mentioned in, in the intro, you kind of read our, our one of the pillars of our vision and mission, right, is, is accessible. The word accessible, I mean, bringing night vision technology, making accessible. So you know, a lot of people think automatically it's price. Well, it's not necessarily price, but it, what it is, it's, 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 you know, figuring out a way to put it in a package 
in 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 a um, a form factor that's appealing to to a broader range of people as well, right? So when we developed Nightwave, we thought about okay, is it just going to go sit on top of a um, you know a big yacht? You know, to your point, or are we going to make it more agile and and more flexible to be installed in different ways and without a, a ton of investment and a, lot, a ton of time? You know, so you can go to your your smaller inland water boats. Right. You can do your intercoastal wave, um, you know, flats type boat, you know, it can go to your center consoles or whatever. Right. So so this can be adapted to almost any type of vessel on water. Right. It's not just intended for, um, you know, ocean going um, activities at all. Right. It's it's riverways, it's lakes, it's it's intercoastals. And that was the intent. Right. And that's that's really what we're getting after when we say it's an accessible product. It's it's a function of price. Um, form and fit and function. Yeah, I'm glad you put it that way because you know when I first saw it and I started thinking about it, it seems to me that the real the real benefit here on a day to day basis is that so many of us, you know, we show up early in the morning to the ramp, and so many people sit there waiting for daylight. You know, they're they, you know, even if they want to put their running lights on, they're waiting for daylight. Now you don't have to wait, or now you don't have to get back at that mad rush of boats coming back in at sunset. Now you can come in a couple hours later and you can see just quite well. And as soon as I saw that and Jim was explaining this to me, I thought that does so many amazing things for your time on the water. It does so many things for tournament fishermen. I mean, there's just so much benefit to being able to have that kind of clear view at night. Yeah, we as humans can't control when the fish are biting. So if you know the forecast of, of when the expected run is going to be, you know, if you need to be out there at midnight, you can go you, and you feel confident in getting out. You know, whether you're launching your boat in the dark or coming back into the ramp at dark or your dock, harbor, whatever it may be, you don't have to worry. Right. So everyone always geared towards their onwater activities by sunrise, sunset. And you don't have to do it anymore. You can you can remove that from your your schedule and agenda. It's like you know if you want to go early, great, go for it. You know, go go get those fish. All right, if you want to stay late because the bite's going good, or you need to go further out, right? So that's the other thing too is like you know, hey, I'm getting off work. Sunset is in three hours. I don't have the time to go out to reach where the fish are at. You know, but now you can. And and so this really is going to give people the ability. To, to use their on-water activities, whether it's fishing or just recreational, um, and not be time-bound, right, by sun, sunrise and sunset. Yeah, and I think that's fantastic, particularly because so many anglers, so many recreational boaters have limited time during the week, you know, vacation, weekends, and this just expands the opportunity for when they can be on the water. And I will tell you, one of the things I've been thinking about with it is putting it on our ski boat and doing night skiing. I think that'll be awesome. <laughs> All <laughs> <So>. right. <laughs> hey, That's one something y'all like to see. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be a blast. Yeah. So one of the things that really struck me when I first saw the um, night wave is that the image from the camera is incredibly stable. And Gio, if I'm not mistaken, I think Jim asked, actually asked you about this too. But yes. even when the water is a little choppy and the boat's bouncing around, this is not a gimbal camera. So how does the Nightwave maintain that kind of image stability? So that's a uh, sort of an artifact of a large pixel in a wide field of view. Um, as, um, as you can imagine, for us to be able to collect 
as many photons as possible to give you that that low light um, image, we have to maintain a pretty large pixel. Um, so when you look at our uh, camera specification compared to other cameras that everybody's used to, you'll see that our camera is uh, 1280 by 960 in resolution versus some of the cameras that are 4K, 2K, 8K, right? So our pixels are um, probably uh, three to four times larger than any of the other cameras out there, and our field of view is pretty wide. So what happens is, as you're going um, on the water at a good clip, the although the camera is vibrating, the the image itself does not jump from pixel to pixel, right? If you're looking at the horizon, the horizon may be moving up and down within the pixel, but not jumping from one to the other. When you have much smaller pixels, something that is a quarter of the size, that horizon may be jumping three, four pixels in that image. And what you're looking at the screen is something that is moving up and down. Um, so that's that's one of the big reasons why it looks stable. And again, the wide field of view is, is the other thing that is really helping, right? It's got a 45 degree field of view versus when you're looking at some of the um, uh, FLIR cameras or the, the thermal cameras out there, most of those cameras are narrowed down to um, 20 degrees, 18 degrees. So half the half the field of view that we provide. Um, so between those two, um, I guess, specifications, you get what, seen, what appears to be a stable image. And it is. You know, a very yeah. stable image. I can ex I can expand on it a little bit too, maybe to try to to bring in a um, you know a comparison. So you know, a, lot, a lot of uh, people that are, that are going on open water, big water, have binoculars in in their boat. You know, so if you in the most popular common size or power range for a binocular is a seven power, right? Versus other binoculars that people may have for for wanting to really zero in on on a hunting application or you know, birding or something. So they want a higher magnification. So the reason why the mariners and boaters settled on seven is, is it's that good blend of giving you a magnified experience, being able to see further, but yet having a wider field of view. So you don't have that sense of, of bounce, right? And and vibration. And the other way to think about it too is, is you know, when this boat is mounted forward looking on your boat, a lot of the times you can actually have reference with because of that wide field of view that Geo stated, Right. You have a, you it's it's more like our eyes see with a wider field of view. So it's it's moving in conjunction with the boat. Right. Versus looking at a tiny screen and seeing a vibration out in front of the boat. Right. So, um, yeah, it does. It just gives you uh, actually a really good experience. It's the number one question we get asked when we've worked our shows. Now, Geo can speak to this as, as well, but it's like, is it stabilized? How will it perform, you know, when I'm on water going, you know, 20 knots, you know, is it going to be jumping around, bouncing around? And we tell people the same thing. No, it actually, it is, but it doesn't appear to be that way for all those reasons that Gio was saying, right? With the wider field of view and and, and forward looking and, and just having a horizon reference. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is absolutely stable. I, I was convinced, particularly because of the casing that it's put in, that that was a gimbaled camera. But when I found out it wasn't, but... Yeah, very stable. So let me ask you the difference between the um, the 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 focus on the on the marine here with the night wave, and with we you mentioned and we've talked about the Aurora and the Aurora Pro, which can be RAM mounted and used with a mobile device. What 
what's the benefit to going with the Nightwave on a boat versus the Aurora on a ram mount with a mobile device? Uh, well, the primary differences are Aurora is a is a battery operated um, handheld, right? Um, so the application of um, mounting it on a rail using a ram mount and streaming it to your um, mobile device is a great temporary uh, application, right? If if you're just gonna need it for uh, an hour or so, that's that's great. The camera. Um, is going to have limited battery capability and uh, limited range, right? The what we've done with Nightwave is we provided um, capability of powering it directly with your boat power. So when your boat is on, the camera can be on. And it plugs directly into your MFD uh, or your boat electronics. So now you have your chart, your chart plotter, your radar, and your camera all on one screen. So you're able to see where you're going, what's in front of you, and how you're gonna get there. Um, so fantastic way to navigate and put everything in one specific location. Um, the camera itself is designed to be hard mounted onto the the boat, either a T-top or a bridge or anywhere around the boat. So giving you a, a peace of mind that it's always there in the right spot, facing the right direction, um, and you don't have to fiddle around every time you um, either change the battery or replace the camera. Um, the Aurora, again, is still a fantastic companion product to have with you if you need to look around or you need to get on your dinghy and get to your boat if it's at a mooring. Um, but yeah, Nightwave is, is a better um, fully integrated solution. Can you record with the Nightwave? Can you, can you record those images? You, you cannot, but most uh, boat electronics have onboard recording for video in. Um, any of the Simrads or Garmin's um, or even running Marines, you usually have a record button, uh, which is great because if you have multiple cameras pointing at different directions on the boat, you're able to bring them all in and record all at once. Yeah, the reason I ask is um, you know, for content providers like myself, there's always that trying to get an edge and have different looking video. I know I, I started shooting with drones very early on and I would get phone calls. Hey, how did you get that shot? How do you get that shot? And being able to record night vision, particularly, you know, night sword fishing or something, you know, you know, is pretty incredible. But I guess, like you said, the Aurora Pro handheld, though, does work as a recording device also. So you could do it that way as well. So. All right. Yeah. So one of the, yeah, sorry guys. So, so one of the the you know, you know, we're at a boat show, for example. You know, uh, the, the number one thing we get from people is like, you know, hey, I have an Aurora, it works great, but I would love to be able to plug it directly into my my MFD. Do you guys have that capability? You're like, well, no, we don't have a hardwire out, but we, you know, this is again why one of the reasons why we generated the the night wave concept was that feedback. You know, so so really, night wave is is an Aurora repackaged, right? Fixed mounted, hardwired in, and 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 hardwired into your power source. Um, but yeah, we tell people it's like you know, hey, listen, Aurora, just if if you need the agility to move around the boat, right, and you want to record, you know, because you can't hit the fishes, you know, because right now it's forward looking, right, for a navigational camera. So that would require you know a fish on the back of the boat. You'd have to have a second one looking back, which we wouldn't object to if that's really what you want to do. <laughs> Go for it. Says so, the know, marketing yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we what got, about, or you build it like an owl cam, put it on a swivel, you know, put it, do it like yeah, an owl yeah. cam. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I will tell you, based on what you you just said, though, the uh, Aurora Pro is definitely going on my wish list. There's no doubt about that. So, so like I told you, mine's being installed right now, um, and I'm having my boat guy do it. But the installation seems to be rather simple, not something that's going to be really complex that you might imagine, oh, God, I'm putting night vision on. I need to bring in all these experts to have everything installed that it's actually very user-friendly. Could you talk about the installation and how simple it is? Yeah, that, that was our one of our main goals when delivering uh, a camera to the maritime market. Uh, we wanted to make sure that people were focused on and were able to enjoy the technology and not have to worry about uh, integration and controls and how, how does this work for me? Um, so as I mentioned before, we, we made the camera 12 volt in and analog out. So if you're gonna plug it into your boat electronics, you're uh, at the end of the day, connecting three wires, a positive and a negative to your battery terminals and the analog in the back of your MFD. Um, there are no controls, no special requirements of setting up the cameras. So you just turn on your MFD and you have video. We do have onboard Wi-Fi for the camera and a companion app. So in case you decide to, um, the, the best location for the camera is upside down on your T-top, um, we have options for you to flip the image. Or if you want to face it aft, you we have options for you to mirror the image. Um, but when you turn on the camera, you don't have to do uh, any kind of panning or tilting or zooming or any of that. It's on and you're good to go. Uh, swinging back to your question before about recording, um, as part of the easy installation and um, flexibility of the camera, we also provide uh, a, a USB cable in the box so that if um, you wanted to plug it directly into a laptop, the camera comes up like a webcam. So your native app on your computer is able to see it and you're able to record video directly onto a computer. Um, for hard mounting options, again, extremely flexible. We provided a quarter 20 on the bottom of the camera. So if you want to do a, a RAM mount, um, I think when Jim was running his tests, he actually had it RAM mounted on one of the, the side posts. Um, there are threaded um, studs underneath the housing. So if you want to do a flush mount, but bottom up, you can do that. We provide through holes from the top for you to do a top down mount. Um, and then the camera itself, you probably noticed, snaps off the bottom housing and separates. So if you wanted to take it off the boat to either use it somewhere else or replace the cable, um, you can most certainly do that and unplug one cable and it has an extra quarter 20 on the bottom. Um, so you can plug in a secondary cable and have it in a secondary location for a uh, you know, momentary uh, installation. Yeah, I like the fact that you can remove it. I've, you know, there are plenty of places where I park the boat overnight that I want to take all my electronics off of the boat instead of leaving them there. But uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit more about this integration with other electronics on the boat, uh, particularly nav screens, uh, whether it's your GPS or your radar, because it seems to me that this adds another level of safety also. That, um, you know, on my screen, if I've got a chart plotter open and I've got, um, you know, depth or whatever else on the screen, by bringing in that night vision view in, you know, right there next to 
the chart plotter now i'm seeing and i'm seeing the map and that to me just seems like a, a really great safety feature for anybody who's boating in low light conditions that is that is one of the biggest advantages of having a a color night vision versus either your traditional night vision or your your thermal night vision as as tom mentioned earlier right it is a native way of looking at the world it's the way that everybody's used to uh, so as you come in into a channel and you're trying to stay between the buoys on your chart plotter with traditional night vision or thermal you may see a blob or something in your view with our camera you can actually tell that that's the green buoy or the red buoy so are you on the right side are you in the channel or off the channel uh, not something that you can do with any of the other technology um, even you know something as simple as a swim buoy or a uh, a dive a diver below buoy um those are extremely difficult to tell using other technology but with ours you are actually able to read and tell what color the uh, the object is so huge safety uh, capability i think that's fantastic hey you mentioned connecting it to a mobile device does it bluetooth to a mobile device and you can actually see what it's seeing on your phone uh, we use Wi-Fi uh, to connect to it. We have a companion app, um, and the latest version of the app just got released um, this month in, in uh, uh, late October, um, and uh, you are now actually able to stream. So the, the app will connect to the camera, will give you command and control over some of the settings, and then you'll be able to stream the video uh, live. Uh, what's great about this is that you can have it directly hooked up to your um, onboard electronics. And then um, you can have a secondary screen somewhere else um, on a mobile device or your phone or a tablet. I assume that that app also allows for firmware and BIOS updates also? Yep, it will automatically um, probe the camera to find what, what firmware it has. And, and if it needs an update, it will prompt the user to do the update. So given the hardwire option also is there a difference between uh, connecting with a coax versus a usb connection on that it's really just the the type of video output when you put a usb on it uh, you get uvc the universal video um, protocol that is basically your webcams that goes into any laptops when you connect with the coax you're getting ntsc the standard analog output um, for the camera. Okay. All right. So let me ask you guys the one question that nobody in marketing probably wants to get asked. But <laughs> since this is a new product, now granted, Psionics has a longer term experience with night vision in general, but this is a new approach to moving night vision into a new market in the marine market. And it's only been out a short while. So there's not been a lot of opportunity for feedback. You mentioned some of the feedback. But really, what are the bugs? What are the kinks that still need to be worked out? Yeah, so you're right. No one wants to hear that from a marketing standpoint because <laughs> you know, we're going to admit what's wrong with the product. You know, so the way I look at it is, is we need to we need to learn what the market wants out of the product. You know, because the product that right now works great. It's easy, plug and play. You know, plug it in your MFD, you can stream it now. You know, you talk about bugs. You know. We, we are dependent upon Apple and Android 
right? And and the app developers and everyone has to play well in the sandbox together. So there's been headaches there getting the, the Wi-Fi up and running. Not the Wi-Fi, I'm sorry. The streaming capabilities through the app has been a little bit buggy, if you will. But those are solvable, right? Those are short-term issues that, that we will get fixed. But we know we have some consumers out there that jumped on the, you know, the night wave, like, yes, I want this. I want to be able to stream it to my tablet, right? They don't have an MFD in, the, in on their boat, but they have an iPad. And, you know, so we've had a little bit of clunkiness there and, and getting that to be a good, smooth experience for those end users. And so we're, we're working hard. We're working um, a lot of hours with the app developers to make sure that, that, you know, between us, the app, the camera, the software all functions like we thought it would and should. Um, other than that, you know, there's things that happen. Every install is unique into itself, right? So the camera is the camera. That doesn't change, right? But how you wire the boat, you know, where are those wires going to be? What are they up against? What power source are you plugging it into or, or hardwiring it into, right? And these things that, you know, um, if you diagram this thing out, should be easy and straightforward, what we realize is, you know, we can't control how other systems work alongside of each other. Um, so, you know, we have a great tech support team that are there to help um, people that that may plug it in and get some interference on their camera. Well, there shouldn't be any interference on your camera or your display. So we have to triage that in the field, right? Because we can't be there. It's already installed someone's boat. So walk them through, um, troubleshoot it. You know, and and we'll do what it needs to be done from a service standpoint. You know, if, if that means sending a new cable, we'll send a new cable. If that means sending one of our tech people to you, we will do that. You know, because the whole idea is to make sure that your end user or the end user, I'm sorry, the consumer, their visual experience gives them the experience they expect. And if there's a reason why there's an issue on the install, then we need to figure that out. So, so everyone has um, an amazing time on water because really what it comes down to having fun, right? Extending your time to go enjoy yourself um, from a recreational standpoint, but also for safety standpoint on a professional end user. So the tug systems, you know, we ran into a, a problem with a tugboat operator um, on, on how to install it on it, you know, because those, those crafts are huge, right? So he wanted articulated. As you know, our the 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 night wave is a forward-looking permanent mount product. Doesn't have pan or tilt. He created a pan and tilt on his own. It's pretty awesome. He attached it to his searchlight. Yes. <laughs> so now he has a pan and tilt night wave that everyone else wants. But um, you know, there's just things like that that pop up. You know, that are anticipated um, being a new product. But you know, we're working through all these issues, and it's up to people to communicate with us and saying, "Hey, something's not right." Okay, well, let's make it better. And uh, we're we're committed to doing that. Well, speaking of that kind of input, um, you know, and user input's always important to any kind of product that's out there. I noticed that you know, with the Psionics Pro staff, your Pro staff is primarily comprised of law enforcement, military, firearms, and that kind of area. Uh, yeah, you've got Dan Cullen; he's a yacht guy, though. Um, yeah. You know, but does Cyanix plan to Cyanix plan to expand its pro staff to include more recreational water and boat oriented pro staffers? I mean, it seems to me that a captain whose experience in sword fishing at night would be a great addition 
you know, not just to a pro staff, but to thinking through how is this being used by anglers? And, you know, a lot of people don't recognize that pro staffers aren't just, you know, sponsored pros. They're there to help provide feedback to the companies as well. Yeah, you're right. And and we do that. That's all in process. We, we've got a, a good resume of, of influencers that we're currently um, working with. Um, some have cameras, some don't. Um, some have cameras, but unfortunately, their boat is out of the water. Uh, until spring, you know, so so the seasonality issue is is reared its ugly head for us because we were late in getting this to market, um, you know. But for twenty three, you know, you're you're going to see some highly recognizable names um, that are partnering with us, and and you're right, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, are they paid sponsors? Well, that's not our mantra, right? What we want to do is work people from more of a an organic standpoint. Um, you know, that people are trusted, you know, they, they're coming to us, honestly, you know, they ran into us at Flibs or at Mibs or whatever other boat show and said, Hey, listen, I believe in what you guys are trying to do and what you're trying to promote, which is safety on water. Right. So the number one thing that that night wave does for people is to give them a safer navigation experience. Right. So if you are on water, whether you have to be on water or you choose to be on water, the, the end game is the same. You want to be safe. And um, you know, people are coming to us and, and wanting to share that story, right? They say, this is how I use it. And this is why I use it. And it's all generating or, or based around being safe. You mentioned those uh, trade shows, the boat shows. Are you guys going to be at ICAST in, uh, in July? You know, we, we were on the roster to attend last year, but we pulled the plug on it just because of our delays. But yeah, I, I anticipate us to be at ICAST uh, this year. And then we'll, in October, well, this February we'll be at Miami. Um, we'll be at you know, ICAST and then October we'll be at Fort Lauderdale. And we have three other shows that we would like to target. But let me ask you, Sid, you know, if, if you're in my shoes and trying to select another two or three um, you know, boating and fishing orientated shows, you know, where, where should I go? Well, from my perspective, ICAST is the place to be, particularly with a product like this that can be enter, uh, entered into and featured in the new product showcase for boating electronics. Uh, yeah. You know, this seems to me to be something that would stand out in that category in the awards. Now, you know, the Miami Boat Show, of course, is, you know, top tier boat show, as is the Fort Lauderdale Boat Show. But from there, everything else just kind of, you know, all the other boat shows just become a blur to me in some ways. You know, I'm thinking about the St. Petersburg Boat Show, and I'm very Florida focused, of course, too. I know the larger boat shows, both in the Midwest, but also up in the New York area, also draw a lot of attention. Um, But again, you know, it seems to me that not just the night wave, but the other models too, like the, um, the Aurora, you know, there's a lot of outdoor application here. You know, I, when I started looking at the Aurora, one of the things in my sort of uh, chaotic mind was, Ooh, I'm going night hiking. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to run trails using, uh, using the Aurora, but um, from a, you know, this, given that this is the fishing professor Rodcast. You know, fishing is my big focus. And for me, ICAST then is the place to be for that. And uh, it's an amazing show. And what they do with the new product showcase is just fantastic. So, Yeah, no, th- that's great. And, and you know, it's it's good that's validating, right, that ICAST would be that show because, 
you know, sometimes, you know, being the product of what that we are, is it, you know, do people want to see and look at a marine electronic like like a, a Cyanox product, or they really want to get in hardcore fishing gear? Um, but, you know, so it's, it's good. It's validating to hear that, you know, that there is a good a, a platform for us to go and introduce this technology and share it with people. Well, certainly at ICAST, you know, in the new product showcase, there is a division for marine electronics. So there's a specific way to approach that. Now, unlike the Miami Boat Show, you know, that has that entire marine electronic pavilion set aside as an independent display area, ICAST um, uh, vendors and display uh, promoters, there's no organizational scheme. You're walking down the show floor and in one booth, it might be an, a lure and then a booth with T-shirts and then a booth with, you know, Garmin or PowerPole. You know, it really... there's. There's no rhyme or reason, or at least none that I see, to the organization. So you're not going to inherently be in a marine electronic segment of the show. Um, and the show is so big that, you know, pretty much every every row of, of, uh, of people displaying their goods, there's going to be electronics somewhere just constantly. And every marine electronic uh, maker is there. Uh, so it, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be somehow... A, a sort of unique fetish item in amidst this you would fit right in. Perfect. Right. So with that in mind, and given that what we've been talking about, um, and just in my ignorance coming into this, what else do you want people to know about the Nightwave, other than the fact that the name really is fitting for a Marvel comic hero right there next to Nightwing and some of the other night superheroes, that we've got super... Supervision now for our inshore boats. What else do you want people to know about Nightwave? Yeah, so so that it's one of our our um, you know tenets of our company is is psionics gives you a superhuman power to see at night. So you kind of see where we're going with our naming strategy there. But you know, um, you know, we, we covered a lot of it. And, and, you know, what I encourage people to do, you know, your listeners is, is to seek it out, you know, go look at it, right. Go, go talk to other people that may have one. Um, you know, we are, we are so new that there's not a lot posted on social media, right. There's not a lot of, of YouTube out there, but it, it's growing, right. It's, it's getting started. Um, next year, 2023 is going to be a huge year for this product. We know it's going to be, we, we know the excitement behind it. We know the dealer um, adoption is, is growing rapidly. We're up to 86 dealers that, that are stalking Nightwave. Um, and then we, plus we have a series of, uh, of other distributors as well. So the product is becoming more available. Um, it's more mostly focused around, um, you know, the East Coast and in the Gulf states. West Coast is being a little bit slow to to adopt it. So any West Coast users, you know, get on our website and take a look um, and we'll help you find a dealer from there. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a fantastic product. And, and I'll say this, you know, for, for a company that most people that are listening to your podcast, or I should say Rodcast, you know, they may not be familiar with who we are, but they will next year at this time. I'm 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 convinced that we'll have a large share of of brand awareness within this space, and you know we'll fast become a household name uh, in the fishing community. That's fantastic, and to help with that, because you mentioned the web page, just so everyone has it, that is psionics.com, s i o n y x.com. 
And uh, it's a very navigable website and well worth checking out, not just for the Nightwave, but the other night vision products that Psionics puts out. I've, I have spent entirely too much time reading about, about the Aurora and uh, some of the Aurora kits, too. I will admit to that as well. Guys, this has been fantastic. I'm really excited to get my boat back in the next couple of weeks with the Nightwave installed. I'm really excited also because I, you know, because it is so new, getting some videos out there so people can see it just so it looks like I'm an early adopter, um, you know, boost my own, my own reputation a little bit there too. I am excited about the opportunity to get off the dock in the morning while everyone else is waiting uh, and to be able to come back late at night and avoid the mad rush at the ramp. But I really am grateful that you took the time today to talk with me about the Nightwave and about Psionics. Thank you both so much for being on the Rodcast. Sid, it's, it's, been, a it's been our pleasure. It's been it's been a lot of fun being able to to meet you and and to uh, to be able to talk about you know our products. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sid. Yes, indeedy do. It seems that a break is in order. A bourbon break, that is. So let's get ready to break stuff, and we'll break into a deep consideration of on this week's bourbon break of Booker's Bourbon, another great bourbon from the Jim Beam Distillery. Now, Booker's is one of the four small batch offerings from the Jim Beam Distilleries alongside Knob Creek, Basil Hayden, and Baker's. And you can check out the Bourbon Break review of Basil Hayden all the way back in episode 1.2. That's the episode that features Captain James Marco. And you can check out the Bourbon Break review of Knob Creek back in episode 1.33 that features that great interview with Ben Joyce of Penn Reels. And with the addition of this week's look at Booker's, I suppose that means I've reviewed three of the four Beam small batch bourbons and am now obligated, if not eager, to dedicate a bourbon break to Baker's in order to have completed the full four bottle spectrum. So my devoted listening crew anticipate that a bourbon break somewhere in the future will hit up on that other bourbon. All right, but with all that anticipation, let's dive into the Booker's. Now, like I said, Booker's is one of four small batch bourbons from Jim Beam Distillery, which is owned by Beam Suntory, which is a subsidiary of Suntory Holdings of Osaka, Japan. Now, part of what makes Booker's unique among the four Beam small batch bourbons is that of the four, it has the highest alcohol content coming in at between 121 proof and 130.6 proof, depending on the batch that you get. And that's the other thing about Booker's. Each batch is different from the other batches. So you'll get a slightly different taste experience depending on which batch you're drinking from. I think that since they started making Booker's, there have been about 40 different batches so far. Part of what's interesting, too, about these varying batches is that when they did start making the Booker's, the first three batcher, batches were identified with batch numbers indicating the year of release, like 2013-06 or 2014-06. But with the batches beginning in 2015, each batch also got a clever name, like 2015 06 three, the center cut, or 2015-05 Mama's batch, or 2022-3 Kentucky Tea batch, and so on. Now, all of these batches are listed as having been aged between six and eight years, depending on the batch. And as I noted, each has a different proof as well, depending on that batch. 
The way that Booker's got started is that the late distiller emeritus Booker No, who was Jim Beam's grandson, began bottling some of the bourbon he personally selected and pulled straight off the barrel as gifts for his close friends and family. And in 1988, he used his selecting methods to launch these small batches to the general public. The first release was a very small batch of about a thousand cases. Back then, No had selected each barrel of Booker's before it was aged at the center of the rack house because No and the rest of the company claimed that the temperature and humidity are the most favorable for fine bourbons in that center point in the rack house. Now, I should note, too, that in February 2014, Jim Beam released a limited edition to celebrate Booker's 25th anniversary. They released only about 1,000 cases of this special edition bourbon. Booker's Batch 2014-01 is a blend of bourbons that were aged 10 years and 3 months, bottled at 130.8 proof, and listed for about $100 per bottle. Each of these limited edition bottles were topped with a special rose gold wax and packed in these very unique wood boxes. When they were released, Fred No, Booker's son and current Jim Beam master distiller, explained, and this is a quote from Fred No, these barrels were laid down in January 2003. Dad passed in February 2004. So I guess essentially you could say that these are some of the last barrels that dad produced before he passed away. So that's the end of the quote. So they really were the last of the original bookers, even though Fred No and Jim Beam carry the, to carry the tradition on. Now, because each batch of bookers is different, it's impossible to offer a true review of the entirety of bookers. And to make matters even more confusing, I actually don't have a bottle of bookers. Instead, I had the opportunity to taste some at a local bar where I sat, tried two or three glasses, and took some notes. Unfortunately, in my ignorance at the time, I didn't think to identify which batch the bartender was pouring from. So my tasting notes and review then are as skewed as can be, and you really shouldn't trust my account here, as it is an attempt at a generic overview taken from an unknown specific batch. And in saying that, I do realize that every legitimate bourbon expert out there ought to dismiss not just this review, but my overall reputation as a bourbon drinker, and I suppose I can live with that. Don't give a damn about my bad reputation. Now, the eye of the Bookers is a dark amber leading into a more brown than golden. The eye of the bourbon evokes woodiness with tints of golden honey. I have to say that it is a really pretty bourbon color. As I said, Bookers is the highest alcohol content bourbon of Beam's four small batches line. And that high alcohol content is evident from the first sniff you take. There's a blast of alcohol burn right as you engage the nose. But there's also some deep oak here as well, and the nose is definitely woody. Add to that some sweet florals and some really nice nuttiness to the nose. And from what I've read about the different batches, that nuttiness is a hallmark of the Booker's batches. As to the palate, there's a nice spiciness to the bourbon that is promulgated by that high alcohol content. There's pepper here and cinnamon, almost like a red hot candy, but without the juvenile sugarness of candy. I suppose the high alcohol content also gives the bookers a feeling of heat beyond just the spicy hot. This is a hot bourbon that feels warm in the mouth and throat. There's also some sweetness here from the corn that appears as buttery caramel that synthesizes well with the spiciness. And that woodiness and nuttiness are here throughout the taste spectrum. 
And there, there's kind of a touch of leather toward the back end of the spectrum. Now, I will say that the Booker's is not a light bourbon by any stretch, and its flavor is deep and rich. I've read and heard from others that given the deepness of the flavor that Booker's is best had with a splash of water to offset the high alcohol content and to loosen up the flavors from that rich, concentrated flavor. In fact, Booker No himself recommended drinking it with a splash of distilled water to unlock the full range of flavors. However, I will admit, too, that in my tasting, I kept to the neat pour, and I enjoyed it very much. The finish is nice and long, and it's dominated by the prominent woody, nutty flavors. The glow of the heat hangs on for a while. Booker's doesn't want you to forget it. It wants to hang out in your mouth as long as it can, and I like that. It's like a warm memory that's there in a comforting way. So yeah, Booker's is a pretty damn good bourbon, but it isn't an easy bourbon. It's not a bourbon that you're going to be doing shooters with or pouring like you pour beers at a keg party with your friends. This is a sipping whiskey to be savored. It needs good friends, cigars, and a campfire. This is not a daily driver. This is an occasion bourbon. And given that, depending on the batch you get, they range in price from around $65 a bottle to upwards of $125 a bottle. This isn't one you want to just pour out liberally. Plus, there's a 30th anniversary special edition bottle that lists from anywhere from $600 to $1,200 a bottle. So it's not a two-drink-every-night-after-work kind of bourbon. It's a bourbon that deserves more respect than that. So yeah, I may have to pick up a bottle of the Booker's now that I've had the experience and keep it on hand for those nights that deserve something a little bit more. And those are my thoughts about Booker's bourbon. As a final note in my regular disclaimer, as always, please keep in mind that the Fishing Professor Bourbon Break Reviews are not sponsored. The distillers have not sent me samples, nor do they influence my reviews at all, though I am always open to sponsorship, bribery, and extortion. The bourbons I review are purchased out of pocket, and my reviews are based on the keen sense of bourbon know-how developed over many years in many of this country's finest watering holes, drinking establishments, dives, pubs, honky-tonks, and back alley speakeasies. Hey, speaking of, let me give a quick shout out to the Brass Monkey on Marathon Key. Now, the Brass Monkey is a fun place, but I do have to say that one of the sad things affiliated with the Brass Monkey is that it's located in the Kmart Plaza. But that Kmart has closed for good, and it used to have a great fishing center. In fact, throughout high school, college, and my professional life, I used to imagine working in the Kmart Fishing Center as first my dream job and later as my escape reality job. But alas, the opportunity never arose, so now my hopes and dreams are transferred over to the Brass Monkey, which I, as I've said before, is a fun bar that also happens to serve some great food. The BM is a classic Florida Keys bar with a great vibe. The place has had the same owner since the late 70s. So you know the bar business in the bar business, that's something else to maintain a business for that long. So they've got a great reputation and a good solid regular clientele. They've got great bartenders and some damn fine smash burgers and hot dogs right off the grill. This is a local's place. So I actually feel kind of intrusive talking about it like I know it. But I've been there a few times, and I love it as much as I love other Middle Keys bars. Plus, it's impossible to talk about the Brass Monkey without singing, Brass Monkey, that funky monkey, Brass Monkey Junkie, that funky monkey. Yeah, we're pouring one to the curb in the Marathon Kmart Plaza for MCA. 
And so here's to it and from it and to it again. And if you don't do it, when you get to it, you may never get to it to do it again. As always, if you have comments about this week's bourbon break, feel free to email me at sid at inventivefishing.com. And now back to the broadcast. All right, it is time for the Fishing Professor's Top 10 for the week. And this week, I want to talk about strippers. Wait, that's not right. That's a typo. I want to talk about stripers, not strippers. We can talk about strippers another time, maybe during a bourbon break. But no, today, I want to talk about striped bass fishing. And keep in mind that striped bass, black sea bass, and red bass, sometimes called redfish, are neither bass nor are they related as a species, yet they all carry that bass name. But stripers, not strippers, are a really incredible fish with a great fishing history. And yes, depending on where you are, stripers are also known as Atlantic striped bass, striper, line cider, rock, or rockfish. Now, you have to be careful calling them line ciders, since in Florida, line cider isn't a striped bass, but a snook. So stripers, not strippers, are an andromenous percoform fish, which means they can live in both salt or freshwater. Because of this, stripers have also been introduced to inland recreational fisheries across the U.S., but mostly stripers that you catch in freshwater were stocked by state fish and wildlife departments strictly for the sake of recreational fishing. They don't actually breed and uh, evolve there. And yes, I did say that we also refer to stripers, not strippers, as Atlantic striped bass. But the thing is, there are striped bass in the Gulf of Mexico, but they're a separate strain and are usually referred to as Gulf Coast striped bass. Now, given the prowess of the stripers as a game fish, they are identified as the state fish of Maryland, Rhode Island, and South Carolina, and they are the saltwater state fish of New York, New Jersey, Virginia, and New Hampshire. I do not believe that any of these states, though, have identified a state stripper. I could be wrong, though. It's actually likely that New Jersey does, in fact, have a state stripper. If you look at the history of fishing for stripers in the U.S., that history goes back to before settlement in the New World and then really unfolds during the colonial period. A lot of written accounts by some of the first European settlers describe the vast school of stripers that moved along the northeast Atlantic coast and spawned in the rivers there. A lot of this writing is also connected that uh, connects the striper migration to the movement of forage fish schools like the alewife or the menhaden schools. Unfortunately, in the 1980s, overfishing and poor environmental conditions really decimated the striper population. But through efforts from both recreational and commercial fishermen, the stock started to improve around 1995. In fact, did you know that if you look at sheer pounds caught by recreational anglers, Stripers are the most caught saltwater fish. Nonetheless, the striper stocks have again been on the decline since 2013. And in 2015, the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission cut the allowable striper harvest by 25%. Unfortunately, as the American Sport Fishing Association has reported, the 2015 reduction did not fix the problem, and in a new assessment in 2018, the commission again concluded that stripers were still being overfished. So in 2020, 
the commission initiated an 18% reduction in allowable harvest. So while striper fishing is one of the most important recreational fishing fisheries in the country, we have to be very alert to the impact recreational and commercial fishing are having on the striper stock. And don't get me started on the situation with menhaden and forage fish along the Atlantic coast and the impact those management problems are having on striper populations as well. Ugh. Okay, lesson aside, let's get back to striper fishing and my top 10 striper lures. Now, one of the things I love about striper fishing is just the sheer numbers of way you can target them and the vast array of kinds of lures you can use, from bucktails to squid imitators to poppers to jerkbaits to topwaters, and so on to the point that I would bet that there aren't many saltwater lures that you can't throw in various contexts to catch stripers. In fact, it might make more sense to create a list of the top 10 lures to not waste your time throwing at stripers, but that would be a tough list to create, and I'd end up pissing off 10 lure makers for putting their lures on the list. In fact, I may have at some point, I may have to at some point take the risk of pissing off lure manufacturers and making a general top 10 list of lures never to use for anything. But that's not the objective here today. Instead, I want to look at the top 10 lures that work well for stripers. But like I said, that's a tough list to narrow down, particularly since you can fish for stripers in so many ways from boats, slow trolling and casting, surf casting, jigging deep along rock piles and places like the islands along the Chesapeake Bay bit, Bay Bridge Tunnel, and on and on. So with all of that in mind, there are 10 lures that I do like for striper fishing in particular. At number 10, let's kick it off with Tsunami's Talking Popper. This is a fantastic topwater popper that is rugged enough to handle big stripers and can also take the brutality of a big blue strike, which can happen, frankly, when you're fishing for stripers. I love the chug of these poppers, the way that the cupped face of these lures throws water and creates a great popping sound in the water. The Talking Popper also has an internal weight transfer ball system that assists in longer casts, but also creates a great rattle sound from within the lure to add to that auditory attractant. They come in three sizes, a five inch, a six inch, and a seven inch that weigh in at one and three eighths ounces, two and a quarter ounce, and three ounce respectively. They come in about a dozen color options. Also, there are versions on which that aft treble hook comes with a bucktail teaser, and I really like those versions best for targeting stripers. All right, at number nine, let's go with Yozuri's Mag, Mag Darter. This is another lure that I lean on because of its great design for distance casting. The Mag Darter uses a magnetic weight transfer system that shifts the internal weights out against the tail of the lure when you cast it and it pulls the cast further through the air. That weight system also gives the lure a lot of strength for casting in windier conditions. I also love the Mag Darter's unique inverted cup face. Now, when you first look at this lure, it looks like the cup face of a popper or another topwater, but it's not a topwater lure. The cup face is designed to enhance the lure's darting action underwater. I will say, too, that the Mag Darter works best with a slower retrieve to maximize that darting action and its really tight rolling swimming action. They come in 16 color options, and there are three versions for diving to three different depths, one to two feet, two to three feet, and three to four feet. Just a great lure all around and really great for stripers. 
All right, at number eight, we need to note that stripers love eels and that fishing live eels is one of the best ways to target stripers, but the thing is, fishing with live eels can be a serious pain in the ass. Now, there's a lot of great eel imitators out there, and if you check back to episode 1.29, the one with the interview with Rick Constantine from Brand Tools, you can hear my overall top 10 countdown of artificial eels. But since we're approaching striper lures from a diverse perspective today, for my number eighth overall striper lure, I want to give props to Savage Gear's real eel, both the pre-rigged and the the jig version. Uh, These are really great striper lures. I really like this eel a lot. It's got a fantastic reel look to it, primarily because the design is based on 3D scans of actual eels. I also love this eel pre-rigged. It comes rigged with a single hook that exits the dorsal portion of the eel's body and a treble hook that can be removed from the belly of the lure. These are slow-sinking eels, and I find them great as casting lures or trolling lures and have even added a trolling weight to use them for trolling wrecks and reefs. They come in three sizes, 8, 12, and 16-inch versions, and are available in six-color options. They list from anywhere from $10 up to $15, depending on where you buy them. But these are really just a fantastic eel imitator that just does dandy on them stripers. All right, at number seven, let's go with another classic topwater lure, the Rapala Skitterwalk. Skitterwalk is a dog walking type lure. It's got a fantastic lean body design and phenomenal walking action. The large internal rattle gives the skitterwalk great sound attractants. The great 3D holographic eyes and the 22 color variations are just fantastic. I will say my favorite colors are the bone chartreuse and the classic redhead when I'm targeting stripers. All righty, at number six, let's go with another great topwater lure, the Rebel Jumping Minnow. This may be one of the easiest topwater lures to fish. It's got great balance in the body, so getting that walk-the-dog topwater action is very easy. The lure just slides across the surface. The lure itself is made from a tough, durable plastic, but the thing you need to know is that while the lure is saltwater tough, it was designed for freshwater, and it comes with freshwater hardware. The Rebel description of the lure, in fact, identifies that the body is saltwater ready, but that you should switch the hooks out for saltwater hooks when fishing the lure in saltwater. They come in 12 color options, but I like the pilchard and the blue candy for stripers. Okay, at the midway point, I'm going to go with Blue Water Candy's Striper Bella. I should note that I like Blue Water Candy's Striper Candy Rig too, but I'm going to go with the Striper Belly Rig for the countdown. This is a 15-inch weighted umbrella rig that features four 6-inch soft body shad that are skirted with feathers and weighted teasers. These are great umbrella rigs for creating that schooling bait fish presentation, and the rig itself is strong enough to handle even the biggest striper strikes. They come in the choice of white or chartreuse. All right, at number four, let's go back to the eel imitators for a minute and add one of the best overall eel, eel imitators out there, and that's the hoagie protail eel. Hoagies are, of course, of course, the best eel lures out there, no matter the species you're targeting. But for the protail eel, which comes pre-rigged with fantastically strong VMC hooks, and they're just really ideal for stripers. I love the natural bait fish scaled fish uh, finish on these. Uh, they look natural. They really do. And they have such flexible swimming action. There are two versions of this popular eel, the Protel HD 7.5 inch, 2.25 ounce, 2.25 ounce eel 
which has a kind of sandal body design, and then the nine-inch six-ounce harness pro tail that has more of an elongated shad tail body. Both of these are top-tier striper lures. All right, in the number three car, let's give credit to Shimano's Colt Sniper Jerkbait. This is another great lure that uses an internal weight system to maximize its casting distance. Shimano boasts that its propulsion weight transfer system will increase casting distances by 22%. I like the tight wobble action of the lure, and it's just absolutely rugged demeanor. In fact, I will say that this is a lure that I use not only for stripers, but that I regularly use for targeting big barracuda in the keys as well, because it holds up so well against those massive toothy strikes. That said, on the East Coast, the Colt Sniper has a distinct reputation as a top-tier striper lure, and for good reason. They come in 15 color options, but look at the Bunker and the Menhaden for stripers, despite the fact that the Bunker and the Menhaden are words used for the same fish, in, same fish and these are indeed different color patterns. All right, in the runner-up position, I'm going to give a nod to Daiwa's Salt Pro Minnow. And let me clarify that the Salt Pro Minnow comes in a sinking and a floating version. When it comes to stripers, both are hot, hot, hot. This is another lure that uses an internal weight system to improve casting distance. But it's the eyes on this lure that really get the attention, not to mention the 21 dynamic color options. I should note, too, that the floating model really runs to a depth of about three feet and then floats back up when you stop the retrieve. The other, the sinking version, uh, does the opposite, dropping down all the way to the bottom if you let it during the pause and the retrieve. The sinking version comes in a six-inch model and a six-and-three-quarter-inch version. The floating version comes in three-length options, five-and-one-eighths-inch, six-inch, six inch and six and a three quarter inches and you need these lures all in your striper arsenal all right that brings me to my all-time favorite striper lure but before i clue you in on the insider info let's get a quick recap of all the others on this list at number 10 tsunami's talking popper at nine yozuri's mag darter at eight savage gears real eel at seven rapala's skitter walk at six rebels jumping minnow at five, Blue Water Candy Striper Candy. At four, Hoagie Pro Tail Eel. At three, Shimano Colt Sniper's Jerkbait. And at number two, Daiwa's Salt Pro Minnow. And that brings us to my all-time favorite lure for targeting stripers. And if I want to be honest about it, the brand of this lure is really irrelevant. Because I have to say that no matter how you're fishing for stripers... A good bucktail just can't be beat, particularly a classic white bucktail, though I wouldn't turn down a chartreuse bucktail for targeting stripers. That said, though, and to be consistent, let me point to the Felmley bucktail jig, especially the Felmley 9-inch curl tail bucktail, which adds a soft curl tail to the bucktail to give an added visual and action stimulation to the Felmley bucktail with an eel that instead of the curly tail has a soft plastic eel tail. The curly tail version comes in two ounces and four ounce versions and in four color options. The eel version comes in six size ranges from three and a quarter ounces up to four ounces. But really this combination of the soft body tail and the bucktail is flat out the best way to target stripers with lures. 
And those are my thoughts about striper lures. And I have no doubt that you've got your favorite striper lures too. And it's more likely that a few of you disagree with some of my selections, but I'm okay with that. And if you have a stripper lure, I mean a striper lure, you think I should check out, or if you're a manufacturer who makes a great striper lure that I don't consider, shoot me an email at sid at inventifishing.com. As always, if you'd like a fishing professor's top 10 about a particular fishing-related thing, just send me an email and I'll see about adding it to my list for future lists. And with that, let's get back to casting. Ah, well, my listening crew, that about brings us to the end of another adventure. And to paraphrase that great literary icon, Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde, who smartly wrote under the pen name Oscar Wilde, but whose family called him Bosey, once said, some folks cause happiness wherever they go, others whenever they go. And unfortunately, we gotta go. So as my all-time favorite band sings it, I gotta go now, gotta go now. I don't want to leave you, but I guess I better go now. Soon we'll be together all the time. But until then, I gotta go, gotta go now. Hey, I do want to thank Gio Lapore and Thomas Frain of Psionics for taking the time to talk with us about their really cool new night vision camera for inshore boats. I should note, too, that I've just learned that Psionics has just released and just launched the new Psionics app that interacts with the Nightwave camera. It's a really cool app. This new app not only allows Mariners to connect their Wi-Fi-enabled Nightwave camera and stream to any mobile device that supports Android or iOS, but users can now connect multiple mobile devices to one Nightwave camera for even more eyes on the water. So yes, thank you so much to Gio and Thomas for that cool introduction to Nightwave. Hey, beyond seeing in the dark, I do hope you got something out of my discussion of Booker's bourbon and from the fishing professor's top 10 lures for catching stripers, not strippers. Come on, gang, let it go. Before I sign off today, I do have a message for our brothers and sisters out there behind the line. The hold is being scrubbed. I say again, the hold is being scrubbed. And that just about does it for this week's episode of the Fishing Professor Rodcast. Be sure to look for next week's episode, which will drop on Wednesday next week, and I hope you and all the members of the listening crew will spread the word about the Rodcast. And of course, if you have comments or questions about anything on this week's show or have recommendations for future Top 10s, Bourbon Breaks interviews, or information about specific fishing-related issues, please feel free to email me at sid at inventifishing.com or leave a reply in any of the comment sections for any of the podcast platforms you use to listen to the Rodcast. And be sure to follow Inventive Fishing on Twitter, Instagram, and friend us on Facebook at Inventive Fishing. And make sure you check out all the great video content over on the Inventive Fishing YouTube channel, which includes great gear reviews, new product introductions, and a mess of other great content. I will be back next week with another episode. Until then, this is Sid Dobrin, the fishing professor. Fish on! The Fishing Professor Show is copyrighted by Inventive Fishing, LLC. Any rebroadcast of the podcast without the consent from Inventive Fishing, LLC is strictly prohibited. Fish on!